I want to tell you something, and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life. From innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition, to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory, I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else. And this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes. And we're excited to announce that our plant strong milks will be available online later this week, followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things plant strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com. The lows this week in Austin, Texas have been in the fifties temperatures that we haven't seen for literally months, which gets me absolutely giddy because it means that fall is right around the corner, which means that soup season is here. And if you weren't aware, we have the most spectacular collection of organic culinary broths to help you elevate all of your homemade soups and stews. And I want you to know, I know how important it is to inject flavor at every stage of cooking. And so this is exactly why we created these four very unique plant strong broths to help you level up and up your game in the kitchen. Now, I love all of my baby broths, but right now my current go-to is the shiitake mushroom broth. We use it to make mommy's mushroom gravy or as a base for our barley soup. And last night I used it in a um, broccoli, cauliflower, and seitan stir fry. Mm, it rocked. And the umami flavor is perfect. As an added bonus, all four of our broths are completely unsalted, so you can control the sodium 100%. So if you're making soup this season, we've got a base for you to build on. Learn more at plantstrongfoods.com. And what I found was study after study after study, many uh, studies by your dad even, about the connection between animal products and cancer. And so I learned that if I could switch to a whole food plant-based vegan diet, low in oils, that would be the best thing I could do to prevent my risk of cancer. So I thought, what have I got to lose? <laughs> if all I need to do is ditch animal products and eat fruits and vegetables, just change my diet and save my life, I'm gonna do that. 
But what I didn't know yeah. is that I had se- I had 70 pounds to lose. So my intention was to not get cancer. And all of a sudden, all this weight that I had carried as an adult and had so much difficulty losing started to fall off. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plan Strong podcast. The mission at Plan Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. I am fired up, to say the least, today. And the reason why I say I'm fired up is because whenever I have a plant strong firefighting brother or sister on the show, I get fired up. And today, her name is Cindy Thompson. And I was super inspired by her background and why she chose to become a firefighter in the first place. But it's truly her journey to plants that makes her a superhero in my book, especially in this ridiculously male-dominated, meat-loving profession where she was able to go against the grain and boldly take agency of her own health because, boy, did she ever need it. And along the way, in her very kind of methodical and patient manner, was able to inspire the other kind of macho male firefighters that she worked with to take a second look at their own plates and take the plant strong journey along with her. And in many ways, it really reminds me of what I was able to do back in the early 2000s with the guys at Fire Station 2 on the sea shift. And today, even though Cindy is now retired from firefighting, she is still extinguishing the flames of disease and illness as a health and lifestyle coach. And amongst many other credentials, she is a licensed Food for Life instructor with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM, of which our good friend, Dr. Neil Barnard, is the founder and president. Her business today is called Try Amazing because, yes, she does do triathlons for fun, but when you're making food and lifestyle changes to benefit not only yourself, but also the health of the planet and the betterment of the animals, you are three times as amazing. And Cindy whips up a special bonus recipe today. She makes a queso that absolutely knocked the socks off the guys uh, that she worked with uh, as a firefighter. And, you know, this one is, it's super personal for me. And it's always fun, as I said, to have a firefighting brother or sister on the show. So let's give a nice warm welcome to Cindy Thompson. Welcome to the Plan Strong podcast. All right. Hey, I am here with Cindy Thompson. Cindy, you are a fellow firefighting cruciferous cousin of mine. <laughs> you hate you. Yes. And you hail from 
kind of the northwest part of the United States. Where am I talking to you from? Well, right now I'm in outside of Seattle, uh, but that's not where I was a firefighter. I was a firefighter in Gresham, Oregon, just outside of Portland, Oregon. I see. So before we jumped in here live, you were just talking about the wildfires that are going on there right now. And Mm -hmm. what's the fire that's about 25 miles from you? It's the Bolt Creek Fire, which is on Highway 2 on the North North Cascade Highway. Uh-huh. And uh, you said you were you were doing some things to your house to get it ready in case things got ugly. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you know, for Wildland Interface, uh, one of the things to do for, for preparation for wildfire is structure protection. So we spent Saturday getting all of our summer patio equipment put away and raking up any dead leaves that were around um, and just really securing everything so that our house was fire safe. So all of that firefighter training, now that I'm retired, that comes back into play, uh, unfortunately, in the situation that we're in with this wildland fire. Right. And so you just mentioned you are retired. How long you been retired? I have been retired for six years. I can't believe, actually, it might even be more than that. Let me think. I have to do the math. <laughs> it's long enough where I have to do eight years. Eight, eight years. years. I can't. It's gone so fast. And so do you miss it? You know, I miss the people. I really miss the camaraderie of the fire crew. Uh, and I loved my job, uh, but I was ready to be retired for sure. Yeah. And so how long were you a firefighter? For 20 years. For 20 uh-huh. years. Yeah. Yeah. For 20 years, I didn't sleep. So (laughs) that was one of the things. It's nice to be able to sleep all night. No, it it truly is. And especially what we're learning now about how lack of sleep really, what it does to your overall health and well-being is is not good. And as firefighters, yeah, we go, sometimes we go, you know, we'll go a 24-hour shift not sleeping. What, What was your what did your shifts look like where you worked? Were you 24 on, 48 off, or what was the cadence? Yeah, yeah, we did 24 on, 48 hours off. Um, we could work up to 96 hours straight, so four days straight. I only did that a few times. That's very, very difficult, even if you don't get a lot of calls. Just the fact that you are on on uh, response mode and waiting for something to come in, you just don't function as well. You don't sleep as restfully, um, but that was our schedule. Wow. And uh, what was the size of your department? Uh, We are uh, just over 100 personnel strong fire department. So an urban fire department. Um, We bordered on the east side of Portland. We had a lot of wildland interface with the Columbia River Gorge, if anyone's familiar with that, for windsurfing and all kinds of uh, outdoor activities. Um, We had six and a half Stations. We actually share staffed a station with Portland Fire, which was really an uh, innovative approach to dealing with some mutual aid response issues. So uh, it was it was wonderful. We had one truck, uh, and I know they've added on some additional staffing and equipment since I've retired. But it was a really grid sized department. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 real. Um, you mentioned the Columbia River Gorge for and windsurfing. I tell you, I went there for the first time. In 2017, because we poured my wife's father's ashes, part of them in the Columbia River Gorge, and Uh I could not believe the wind tunnel that exists there. It is phenomenal. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That wind just blows right through the gorge, and it ends right at the mouth 
uh, of what was a town called Troutdale, which is a, one of our response areas. So uh, it sounded like a freight train most of the year with the wind that came out of the gorge. And so yeah. we had major issues with wildland fires from the effect of that east wind. So I really want to know, so you, what inspired you to get into firefighting back in around like you were a 20 year firefighter. So back in 1994, right. Is when mm-hmm. you, what inspired, yes. what inspired that? Well, I had, as a, a little girl decided that I wanted to be one of three things. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an emergency room physician, or I wanted to be a firefighter. And uh, over time, I just kind of gravitated towards being an, an emergency room physician. That was something that really interested me. Um, I had done a lot of volunteering as a teenager in the hospital and learned that that was something that really resonated with me. So uh, part of my goal, my personal goal was it, to make sure that that really was the right fit for me. Um, and I went to a university that had a paramedic program and I decided I was going to get uh, my degree in paramedicine, which was a very unusual at that time. There were only a handful of schools that did that. Um, and then work as a paramedic to really make sure that was something I wanted to do. And I ended up through the process of that transferring to Oregon Health Sciences University to their paramedic program. Um, and part of that program was doing ride-alongs with Portland Fire. And I absolutely loved the fire service. I yeah. loved the camaraderie. I loved what we were doing. Um, I loved the schedule, everything about it. And I decided, you know, I'm young. I have this opportunity. I, I think I'm going to pursue this. And if it doesn't gel or maybe after I retire, maybe I'll go back to medical school. Um, but I haven't got anything to lose at this point. I'm still going to be helping people, which was really my goal. Um, and so I started testing and was hired with the fire service and I loved it so much. I stayed the whole career. Wow. And were you one of the very few women that were part of the fire service there? Yes. So I was hired with five other women and we were the first women in that fire department. And at the time, there were only about 500 women in the whole United States in the fire service. So it was very, very new. No, uh, very sparse for, for women back then. I can't even imagine. And so what was it like? Did the, did the guys embrace you or did they, um, did they make it tough on you? So I actually personally had a really good indoctrination into the fire service, but mostly because I was so young and very oblivious that it would be a problem. In my mind, I didn't think that it was an issue. And I was fortunate enough to be spent a lot of time with my dad, who was a contractor, and I worked with men a lot. And so I had a lot of experience with that banter and um, proving myself and not being afraid of that situation. Um, I know there was consternation before we arrived. I learned about it way after I had been hired. Um, came across uh, things yeah. in the newspaper that because I it was a place that I didn't live, and so I didn't know about the issues. Um, but I actually had a really great indoctrination, and I uh, really appreciated how I was treated and brought into the fire service. Yeah, well, good for you. Um, so twenty years there. Tell me a little bit about your kind of progression because when you retired. If I'm not mistaken, you were a fire captain paramedic, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. not, that's not easy to uh, become a captain. So is that just, was that after several years, just kind of climbing up that ladder? 
Yeah, yeah, that was the tenacity of climbing the ladder. And I actually had really no intention of promoting when I first got hired. I was just thrilled to be in the fire service and I was happy being a firefighter. Um, I had just finished my paramedic school and was focused on really learning how to be the best paramedic I could be. Um, and then over time, people started to talk to me and say, hey, have you thought about promoting? Have you thought about becoming a lieutenant? And um, that really helped when other peers were coming to me and saying, mm-hmm. you know, have you considered that? So um, I continued my education and uh, tested for lieutenant. And, you know, that was the first time a woman in the department had ever tested. So um, that was a little awkward for everybody. Um, I did well and I got promoted uh, from that position. Um, before that, I actually joined um, the training division uh, and was an assistant training officer for a year just to really round out my skills and get some experience with leadership. Because um, when you teach a class, that's leadership. And um, it really helps you make sure that you understand all the concepts to be able to teach things. So that helped me a lot. Um, so it was about five years in when I tested and was promoted to, it was 2001, actually, when I, mm. when I tested and promoted to that. And then about three years later, I promoted to captain. Wow. Uh, way to break those glass ceilings. <laughs> and, and right now, do you have any idea? Um, you said when you got in, there were five women. Do you have any idea how many women, uh, comprise the 100 strong fire department there now? I don't know. I don't live nearby. I know that there's quite a few new women and I believe there's actually more than five or six women in the fire department in that department now. Um, I know there's other officers, so that makes me really happy. Um, I know at least two uh, have promoted since I left um, and there may be more. Uh, So it's getting to be uh, really inclusive uh, and the women throughout the ranks and um, my mom sent me an article, oh gosh, several months ago that they had the first, um, all women crew at my fire, fire department, uh-huh. uh, that was assigned. So we had times where we had all women on the crew for the day based yeah. on, you know, overtime or trades or whatnot. But this was the first, um, completely assigned regular, uh, duty station crew. Uh, so that was fantastic. And how, and how, how many personnel are on a, uh, crew? Is it three, four, five? How many? So we have three when I left and it might be different now, but we had um, three, um, you know, national standard is four. Uh, right. We just didn't have the the budget to allow for that. So we had three per, per engine. Got it. So I want to come back to firefighting here, but I want to take a departure right now. And I want you to share with us where you grew up. <laughs> I grew up in Southwest Washington in a town called Longview. Uh, which is on the Columbia River, and it is uh, a fairly you know, moderate-sized town, and it's really came to being from timber and the lumber industry. So that's where I grew up. And uh, am I correct in doing my research that you did? You also grow up on a farm, or near? A I farm? didn't. I didn't grow up on a farm, but we had a family farm uh, down in Oregon. Uh, we had. My family were homesteaders that came out and uh, got a, a section of a property, uh, first starting in central Washington, uh, and then um, moved to uh, 
uh, Oregon uh, in the Willamette Valley and had a homestead there. And they had that farm, gosh, until I was still in the fire service when um, the last people moved off of that farm. Um, mm. So we don't have that in our family anymore. And we have a lot of farmers in our family. Gotcha. And uh, what was one of your favorite foods growing up? Oh, my gosh. My, my favorite foods growing up was cheese. <laughs> uh, we have family that were um, that dairy farmers for Tillamook Dairy. And so cheese was just that wholesome food that we ate. Uh, I, that was my comfort food. It was what I could snack on and, and that's what I ate. Yeah. That was my favorite food. And did you have any kind of weight issues as you were growing up? You know, I, I, I wasn't overweight, but I was heavier than I wanted to be my whole growing up and into my adolescence and struggled with my weight. Um, even as a firefighter, I struggled with my weight. I yo-yo dieted as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, tried every different diet, would lose the weight, uh, gain it back and then some. And, um, that was a problem for me. Why, uh, and what was it about those, you know, those diets that you tried that made them unsustainable? Um, well, there were things like, it wasn't Adkins, but there was similar to that very low carb, high fat, high protein, and it's just not a sustainable way of eating. I never felt, even though I lost the weight, I never felt like I had a lot of energy. Um, there were other diets that were, you know, shakes and powders and those aren't sustainable. You have to go back after you lose weight, you have to go back to eating real food. And none of those diets taught me how to eat real food. And so I would go back to the way I was eating prior. And of course, the weight would come back on. And so back to you being a fighter. So firefighter, tell me about your relationship with with cancer, because I think that that is what led to your discovery of a mm-hmm. whole food plant based lifestyle. Absolutely. So cancer was the thing that made the change for me. Um, my dad had gotten on Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, when I was a firefighter. Um, and he actually struggled with that twice. Uh, he went into remission after three years. Um, and then it came back and he died from that. But, um, I, because of my dad's death, uh, I was terrified I was going to get cancer. And soon after my dad died, the Oregon state legislature passed a law called the presumptive cancer law for firefighters. And there are almost every state in the country have a presumptive cancer law for firefighters. Now, this was very new. And on that list of cancers was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now my dad had not been a firefighter, but I didn't know if that was hereditary or not. And now it was on a list of presumptive cancers for firefighters, but also on that list were two other cancers that scared me. Both blood cancers was multiple myeloma and leukemia. My dad's mother had died from that. I was terrified. I thought, oh, is this hereditary? Am I destined to get blood cancer? And now my job has got these risks for causing blood cancer as well. And I I actually did not want to tell my mom. I didn't tell her about it. I thought she just lost my dad. She's going to be Mm -hmm. afraid. She's going to lose her daughter. And so I dove into the research, uh, you know, coming from Oregon Health Sciences University, I had um, access to the library. I was in grad school and I thought, I'm going to take my time and really dive into the research and see what I could do to reduce my risk of cancer. And what I found was study after study after study, many uh, studies by your dad even, about the connection between 
animal products and cancer. And so I learned that if I could switch to a whole food plant-based vegan diet, low in oils, it would be the best thing I could do to prevent my risk of cancer. So I thought, what have I got to lose? <laughs> if all I need to do is ditch animal products and eat fruits and vegetables, just change my diet and save my life, I'm going to do that. But what I didn't know yeah. is that I had, se- I had 70 pounds to lose. So my intention was to not get cancer. And all of a sudden, all this weight that I had carried as an adult and had so much difficulty losing started to fall off. What year was this that you made this discovery? This this was 13 years ago. 13 years ago. Yeah. So we're for 2022 now. It's roughly 2009. Yes. Okay. Yes. 2009. All right. So that's... That's interesting. So that's, you know, when I wrote my first book, The Engine 2 Diet. Did you ever did you ever see that or did that ever cross your path? It, it this is so funny because people ask me all that all the time about that and I actually did not know about your book. I <laughs> <laughs> it was years before I knew about your book and I had met your dad. Um yeah. he came to Portland with uh Dr. Campbell uh when Forks Over Knives came out. Um and I, I remember going in Portland to the showing of Forks Over Knives and I had my firefighter shirt on, not knowing the connection other than I'd seen you in the movie oh, yeah. um, Forks yeah. Over Knives and your spot. Um, and he says, oh, you're a firefighter. And I said, yeah, I'm a firefighter. And I said, and I'm plant based and I, you know, this saved my life. I, I know that this way of eating is saving my life. And he said, well, are you strong? And I said, well, yes, of course I'm, I'm strong. Hey, and he looked at me and I looked at him and I, he's like, no, but are you strong? I said, ah, I'm strong. I, I, I'm <laughs> eating this way and I'm strong. And I totally, and so he signed my book and I went on my way and I was so puzzled. And it was after um, I discovered your book and learned about plant strong, I right. finally realized what he was asking me. Yes, I'm plant strong. <laughs> That's funny. Very funny. Yeah. And so 2009, you make this abrupt 180 pivot in the way you you view food. As you and I both know, at the fire station, food is, it, it is sacrosanct. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is everything. It so, is everything. And so what did the other guys and maybe a few of the gals, how did they view you, you know, basically saying no thank you to the, you know, the spare ribs and the steaks and the burgers and the cheese. Yes, then the cheese. <laughs> so first of all, everybody knew my dad and they had grown with me through the last six years of my dad's cancer struggle. Mm-hmm. And so they knew how impacting my dad's death from cancer was. And they also knew that I was very afraid when I learned about the presumptive cancer law. We all were afraid. All of us had been touched by cancer. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was very quiet at first about the research, but I started to share, you know, this is what I'm learning and I think I'm going to try it. And so my fear was not home, was not eating out. My fear was about the fire station because everything happens around the kitchen table. Everything happens about breaking bread. We all take turns cooking. You don't get out of the cooking rotation. In fact, the people who try, it's, it's, it's really not good for camaraderie if you try to do that. You, it's really important 
to eat together. It's huge for team building. And so I did not want to destroy the integrity of my team. I knew how very important it was. Um, so I sat down with my crew and I shared my why. Um, mm -hmm. I said, this is what I'm doing. As you know, my dad, you know about the presumptive cancer. Well, I have three cancers on there. I need to do something. This is what I have learned. I am making this change for me and it doesn't need to affect you. This is my choice for what I'm going to do for my way of eating for my health. So here's what I would propose that we would, it would look like. First of all, I'm not going to leave the cooking rotation. When I cook, I'm going to cook whole food, plant-based. It's going to be delicious. I've already been trying it at home. I've tried some of the recipes. You just haven't noticed it uh, and you've liked them. Um, and it will not hurt my feelings if you want to put something with it. If you wanted to make something on the grill or add to it, that's fine. It won't hurt my feelings. This is my journey, not yours. So um, I promise you it's going to be fantastic. And if you don't like it, tell me and I will make adjustments. And this is a learning experience. Um, that's the first thing. Second, when it's not my turn to cook, I'm going to make enough to have leftovers. So I'm going to throw some stuff in the fridge for next shift. I'm going to put some stuff in the freezer. So you don't have to worry about cooking for me. Um, the great thing about the culture of my department is that we always had a giant salad on the table for lunch and dinner. I mean, the bowl was this big. Yeah. You would dip your bowl into it. It's probably very similar at other fire stations, but we always had a big salad. And so I, I asked them if they would make it without adding dressing or cheese or meat. And that way I always had a big salad. I had some leftovers and I could feed myself. It's not a problem at all. Um, and I said, and this is my journey. If you decide to eat differently, if you decide to add something, I'm not going to hold any grudge. This is my, this is what I'm doing and you can continue doing what you're doing. And then we'll reevaluate. If this isn't working, we'll come up with something different. Um, but I would really, really would like to try this. And you know what their one thing that they said was? No idea. You're not going to be able to do this. You're addicted to cheese. Oh. <laughs> and you, and you, and you showed them, didn't you? I did. So I had always said my, I was addicted to cheese. I didn't know that truly you could become addicted to cheese. And it was, wasn't till several years after I had gone whole food plant-based that I read the cheese trap from Dr. Neil Barnard and realized, oh my gosh, what I felt inside was totally true. Um, I was the kind of person that if I couldn't sleep, I would go to the refrigerator and I would cut a piece of cheese and eat that. And I could go back to sleep, even at the fire station. And there were times that I would wake up with a stale piece of cheese with one bite out of it on my pillow. That's how bad it was. I would make not what the, the joke at the station was, Oh, Cindy's having nachos without the chips. And all that means is you grate cheese, you put it on a plate, you throw it in the microwave and you eat melted cheese with a fork. Huh. I was terribly addicted to it. Um, and you know, 13 years ago, there weren't cheese substitutes. Um, I just had to, cold tofu it and yes, I, str <laughs> I struggled through the first couple of weeks but then soon I realized oh my gosh I don't have that craving for cheese I don't miss it it's even at the station I'm not sneaking it and I don't miss it at all um and uh you know we had some recipes that we created uh at the station to help with the cheesy taste um I've got a great trimesian cheese sauce that I'll share with you at the end oh fantastic um, 
that we developed uh, and played with at the fire station. And uh, that really helped. But I, I really lost that craving for cheese and I didn't need to have those cheese alternatives. In fact, I don't even eat them today. I just, they're just not even something that's in my mind that's necessary. Yeah. So were you able to get everybody on board with eating this way while you were there? Yeah. So the crazy thing is at that same time, we were participating, my station, in fact, my crew, um, in a voluntary program called FLAME, which was from Oregon Health Sciences University. And they were looking at the effects of nutrition and um, health training for firefighters to help uh, reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. So along with cancer, cardiovascular disease is super high in the fire service, as I know you know, Rip. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, for a lot of people, they don't realize that the number one line of duty death for firefighters is cardiovascular disease and sudden cardiac death. So, and of course, that came out before the presumptive cancer law. That never caught my attention. It was the cancer that caught my attention. Um, anyway, we were doing this program at the fire station, and I had just only been a couple months of changing how I was eating. And we had an exercise from this flame program looking at dietary fat in food. And I will never forget this exercise. I think this is a fabulous exercise. If you are in your family or you have friends that are struggling with uh, really how important is it to cut oil out of your diet or fats. This exercise had nutrition facts for hamburger, milkshake, and fry meal, and it had a tub of Crisco vegetable shortening. And on this recipe, they had the fat grams, also had a scale. So our task as a crew was to look at this recipe for hamburger, milkshake, and fries, take a plate, put it on the scale, and then measure out the amount of Crisco that measured the same amount of fat grams that are in this meal. Wow. If you, <laughs> it's disturbing because we ended up having this huge pile of Crisco on a plate. And all of us sat there with our hands over our mouth, just thinking, oh my gosh, seriously, we would never sit down and eat a plate of Crisco, but that's what we're doing when we're eating this. Huge impact. So give me an and, idea. Give me an idea if you can remember, because I'm fascinated yeah. by this this flame study. So are we talking? Was it like two tablespoons of Crisco, or three, <laughs> or four, or like how many are we talking? It was cups of Crisco because it had a hamburger patty, and it had cheese, and it had mayo, and the fries milkshake. were cooked in oil, and a milkshake. Yeah. It was a lot. I mean, it's disturbing. And I should probably recreate that because I can't tell you exactly how much, but it was a pile. <sighs> and so yeah. I, I, the most senior uh, person on my crew said, you know, Cindy, that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. But don't you ever just miss a hamburger milkshake and fry meal? And I said, no, because I can make that plant based and it tastes fantastic and it won't have all of that oil. And they all kind of looked at me. And so he said, you know what, Cindy, I'll tell you what. And, you know, you know, Rip, that the senior firefighter in the crew is everything. Yeah. So this is the senior firefighter on my crew. It's a man very well respected in the department. He says, yeah, I tell you what, Cindy, if you can make me a hamburger milkshake and fry meal that I like, I'll go vegan. You could have knocked me over with feather. I never saw this coming. Yeah. And I said, game on. Let's go to the grocery store right now. So all most fire departments, you take your engine everywhere with you. So while uh, we got in the engine, we went to the grocery store, which was normal for us. 
Uh, it wasn't my turn to cook. We'd already been to the grocery store that day for someone else to cook, but I was not going to let this opportunity miss. So I picked up what I needed and made portobello mushroom burgers that I grilled on the barbecue. Um, we did baked sweet potato fries and I did a strawberry smoothie with plant-based milk. They loved it. Uh-huh. And the senior firefighter said, you know what? I'll do it. I'm going to go plant-based with you. Just don't tell my wife. She's been trying to get me to eat vegetarian for years. <laughs> and so as soon as he said that he was going to do that, the other people on my crew did as well. So my whole crew on my shift uh, turned went plant-based and uh, we loved it. And, and they all had fantastic effects. They lost weight, their blood pressure uh, reduced, their blood cholesterol fell. And so the one big thing that happens now when I tell this story, they said, people say, you you could have written the Engine 2 diet. And I said, yeah, if I had thought about it, I could have written the Engine 74 diet, but it never even crossed my mind because we did. We all did fantastic. You know, we all needed to get new uniform sizes and I, in particular, I had to get three new sets of turnouts over the course of a year. Wow. Um, which is a, a huge impact on your firefighter, fire station budget. Um, you know, they're $1,500 a set. And finally, after I was getting my third set, uh, the chief came to me and said, we're really proud of you. You're doing great <laughs> and your crew is doing awesome, but we need to know if you plan on losing any more weight so we can budget because we haven't budgeted for all these turnouts. <laughs> that that is hilarious. Um, well, good good for you for leading and showing what's possible and showing everybody at your station how tasty and delicious it can be uh, to eat this way and, and, and eat healthy. So it's sim- it's funny because the I was at a station. It was fire station two, and we had I think we had. Let me just think for a sec. We had about. 15 fire stations in our battalion and the battalion chief was stationed out of fire station two. And he was a pain in my ass. And and guess what his last name was? Thompson. Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) No relation. Chief, Chief Thompson. And he gave me more flack for eating the way I did and the guys, because we know we all jumped in and we were doing this since 2000, from 2003 to really 2009. But, you know, my, the, the book came out in 2009 and he secretly started doing, doing it right with his wife and his cholesterol dropped from like 235 down to 136. I mean, he lost like 20 pounds. I mean, so I ended up, it's funny how I went from like, oh my God, I just can't stand this man, right? (laughs) To really all of a sudden having a lot of admiration and respect for him, especially when he, you know, he kind of manned up and he told me that, you know, he needed to lose some weight and uh, wanted to drop his cholesterol and and all that. So we, we departed as, as good friends, which was, which was nice because I, uh, I retired in, uh, in 2009. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So- I, it, it, there were people that gave me flack and there were people that gave my crew flack, you know, they would go on trades or overtime and take with them the way they were eating. And, um, you know, guys would tease them and, you know, 
they just had a lot of resolve for it. And, you know, you let that stuff roll. You make jokes about it on yourself. And, oh, yeah, I'm eating all this rabbit food. And, <laughs> totally. um, you know, I, I just didn't let it turn into a big issue. And um, I didn't make it an issue. I was quiet about it when I went to other crews or if I had uh, people that came in to work uh, in a, a vacant spot that day, we would talk about, hey, this is what we're doing. You don't have to eat this way. If you we're going to go to the store, if you want to have something else, you're free to buy it. We're going to eat together. You can just cook that and we'll eat at the same time. And uh, I think that helped just making it um, less intrusive. But the big thing is people saw what was happening to me, what was happening yes. to my crew for our health. And that quickly set, brought more curiosity than anything. Um, the only flack I really got that was um, a little out of control was from neighboring departments when they would hear about it. They don't know my story and don't know yeah. the history. Um, and they, they found it as a good way to make a dig on a neighboring mutual aid captain. But whatever, you know, it's just, as my dad would say, it's water off a duck's back. And, um, you know, I was very committed to what I, what I was doing and, yeah, and it, it just didn't bother me. Well, it, it, it's a real art form figuring out how to integrate this lifestyle with family, mm -hmm. friends and coworkers. And it sounds yes. like you, you've, you figured that out beautifully. You know, it took me a while, obviously of getting in shouting matches with chief Thompson. <laughs> I think because I was already different, you know, being a woman, I think that it was just kind of par for the course. I don't, I think that might've helped me in that regard. It's like, oh, well, this is a woman thing, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then when the guys got on board that, that helped. But I, I think the fact that I had always been different in the fire service, in my department, that I had learned ways to, to broach the topic yeah. like that. Yeah. Now, so as a fire captain paramedic, what percent of your 911 calls would you say were, were medical calls? Oh, my gosh. Probably 85%, if not more. Yeah. It, that's the amazing thing is to see, you know, we are the primary, we were the primary health care for a lot of the area. Yeah. Um, and we are one of the few medical professions that still make house calls. And so we got to see the effect of lifestyle on, on disease. Um, it's puts us in a very fortunate position. And, um, now that I've since retired, I'm a health coach, uh, and I am thrilled to be able to help prevent disease, reduce the risk of those diseases that I responded to and had to treat emergence emergently. You know, if I can, keep people from going down that path that have that medical emergency. That's, that's just the, my goal. I would love to talk to you more about the kind of the health coaching you're doing before we do. So what would you say, what did you see most on your 911 emergency medical calls? Was it, was it difficulty breathing? Was it diabetic emergencies? Was it lifting assistance calls? Was it, what oh was goodness. it? So we, all of those above, we all, lots of diabetes. I was noticing through the course of my career that diabetes was growing dramatically. Um, that at the beginning, you know, we would do a, a little bit of diabetes calls, but by the end, majority were diabetic calls, um, uh, cardiac, chest pain calls, shortness of breath calls. Um, and then we started to get into the lift assists to the point where we had to actually have 
a bariatric unit in our county um, that the ambulance would bring out um, with a large cot with extra tools. We we had extra new equipment that we carried on the engine in the last oh five or six years of my career for helping with very large patients, and and that became very very common. I mean, we even cut sides out of houses to get people out of their homes at times. Uh, it's just, it had turned into quite a problem. Well, you know what? You're bringing up a lot of memories for me here. So before I left, they had a new, it was a new thing called the mega mover. And yes, maybe, the mega mover. It saved I, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> this very, very like, uh, well-fabricated like piece of nylon and it had handles like, you know, eight sets of handles on it. Yes. So like yes. literally eight people could carry somebody that weighed 600, 700 pounds out of the house because the stretcher wasn't going to do it. And then the stretchers that we got by the time that I left were these hydraulic stretchers. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. like, you know, totally ruin your back, which so many firefighters and paramedics have over the years. And I think these, these hydraulic stretchers were, were good up to 750 pounds, but Mm-hmm. Absolutely crazy. We never had to cut out the side of a house. I can tell you that. We had, I know two situations where we had to do that. And that was before we even had the bariatric unit. We had to disassemble the locking mechanism for the cot in the ambulance. We had to take all of the equipment off the floor, unscrew oh, it so yeah. that we could put that person on the floor of the ambulance. And it was terrifying for all of us. That is, uh, that is, the harsh reality of Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately how the extent to which this food addiction uh, affects some people. And before they know it, they're just like, they're, they're trapped in the, as Doug Lyle would say, the the pleasure trap, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And those are some of the results. Um, Well, so before I get to your coaching, I just want to say that, so did you finish your career in the health and wellness division at your fire department? I didn't, uh, we didn't have a health and wellness division, but I was given a special assignment to run yeah. our firefighter health and fitness initiative program ah. um, before I left. Yeah. So uh, as you know, uh, around 2010, um, maybe even a little before that, um, the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the International Association of firefighters. So union and management got together to determine what they could do to help reduce the risk of cardiovascular death for firefighters. Mm -hmm. And they came up with this wellness fitness initiative, which is a voluntary program throughout the United States and Canada um, to help improve the fitness and wellness of firefighters. So my department, having watched me go through my journey said, we think that you would be perfect to run this program. So they handed that to me and I ran that program until I retired. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. And, and so in 2009, you lost the, the 70 pounds, you became plan strong. And then did you become an adult onset triathlete? <laughs> Is that I mean, yes, that's my term as I became an adult onset athlete, for <laughs> sure. That's so adorable. That's so adorable. <laughs> Yeah, I was not somebody who was athletic. You know, I was in the fire service and I was totally capable of doing that, but I didn't grow up doing sports or athletics. Um, It was 
my mom grew up that before Title IX and athletics weren't in her school until her senior year in high school. So in her mind, athletics were not something that girls did. So I didn't grow up doing that. My brother did, but not me. Um, but once I lost all this weight and I felt so fantastic, I didn't hurt in the morning when I woke up. My, um, I just, I had an excess of energy that I needed to do something with. So I started to run. Um, and eventually, um, got into, uh, endurance races and adventure races and into triathlon. Um, yeah, the, the changing the way it completely changed my life. Um, and so, yeah, I have now changed my addiction from cheese to triathlon <laughs> for sure. What's the last race that you, or event that you competed in? Well, my last one was, um, a sprint triathlon before, right before COVID, um, up here in, uh, the Snoqualmie, Snoqualmie Valley area. That was my last one. So, um, this last year, uh, I have developed, uh, bilateral frozen shoulders and some Achilles tendinosis that I have worked through. And I'm finally in the last, uh, three weeks or so been able to start swimming and running again. So, um, I feel like I'm ready to get back into my triathlon. Yeah. Oh, now that COVID is over and races are happening again. And I've, I've gone through my frozen shoulder issues. Mm, okay, good. You're ready to dive back in. I'm ready to dive back in. Get real. Um, now, so tell me about Try Amazing. Um, when you started it and what, um, what you do with people. Yeah. Yeah. So Try Amazing actually started as a blog. So when I turned into an adult onset athlete and started doing triathlons, I joined a triathlon group in Portland and I was nervous about that. I was more nervous about doing triathlons as plant-based than I was as firefighting uh. Uh, because everything I had seen as all the protein needs and the fueling. And I thought, Oh, I hope I can do this as plant-based. I think I can, but it, uh, there was a lot of concern with people that I would meet. Oh, well, I don't know if you can do this as vegan. So I thought, you know, I want to hold myself accountable to keep going. And I want to share with other people that might be plant-based that um, want to do triathlons to see, you know, show them it can be done and to share what I'm learning. So um, it was, my blog was first called Cindy T runs a triathlon or Cindy. It was just a terrible blog title. And um I did that for several years and I was at the fire station one night trying to think I need a different title for this. And so I was brainstorming words and keywords and phrases. And I kept coming up with triathlon. Triathlon is amazing. It's just, I feel amazing. Going plant-based was amazing. It's like, it's try amazing. And I thought, you know, it's wonder if I could morph that into try amazing. And so being the, kind of beginnings of the internet. I thought, I wonder if that, what's available for um, a URL for that. So I went and searched to see if Try, Try Amazing was available. When I typed in Try Amazing, the Urban Dictionary popped up with the word Try Amazing, yeah. which is urban slang for three times better than amazing. I thought, aha, that is great. That's exactly how I feel. So um, I bought the domain name at that time and held on to it until um, I created my my coaching business and uh, turned that blog, Try Amazing, into my business, Try Amazing Health and Lifestyle Coaching. 
That's fantastic. And what's the logo? Because it looks like you've got like a frog and a tomato or tomato. What, what's going I on? I do. There? I do. So um, my business is built around whole plant-based eating, um, uh, fitness, and the environment. Um, the environment is something on the course of going plant-based and learning this lifestyle and living this lifestyle, I realized what an amazing impact that had on the environment. And frogs and amphibian are an indicator species of how your environment is doing. And so I've always been really Mm. um, kind of, they're like a spirit animal of mine, the frog. So on my logo there, I knew there had to be a frog and it's, and it's jumping. So it's something that's very actionable. It's very in um, to fitness. And uh, also on the logo, it's a circle. So um, it's the frog is jumping towards the tomato, which is the plant based. And then that circle is also with the energy and how all those three things of plants, animals and the environment and our health are all related. That's really great. The way that each one feeds into the other. It's this really beautiful cycle. Yes. You know what? You know what time I think it is, Cindy? I think what it's time, time for, you, for you to show us how to make some kick butt plant-based cheese. What is it? A cheese dip? It's chimazing queso. <laughs> it's a cheese. Yes. Yeah, so it's cheese that you can use to pour on, um, on pasta uh, for mac and cheese to pour on steamed vegetables to help kids love to eat cheesy vegetables. Yeah. And it's something that we made in the fire station, um, to really help with not having cheese. And I tell you what, it's, it's really try amazing. It's three times better than it and, it, and it's whole food, plant-based, no oil. It is. Is whole food, plant-based, no oil, I, not a drop. I am so excited about seeing uh, and watching you make this. All right. Fantastic. Shall we, shall so we I will jump off. I will jump off my island here yeah. um, so that I can stand behind it. This is my kitchen studio. So in addition to being a health coach, I'm also a food for life instructor with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. So I teach a lot of cooking classes. And then during COVID, we were not able to do that in person. So I have transformed a storage room in my basement into a cooking studio. So I'm going to jump off here, climb around the back, and we'll get to some cooking. Perfect. All right, Cindy, you're all set up. You're in your studio kitchen. You're going to be making a queso for us that would make just about every fire station just drool with envy. And um, this is perfect because we're just coming off of Plant Stock 2022. And our whole theme was chefs, amazing uh, plant-based people making different recipes, their favorite recipes. So Fantastic. thank you. This is the, the perfect uh, continuation. Perfect. I love that. Great. All right. So we are going to make Trimazing Queso. Uh, and I'm making a spicy version today, but you can actually make this not spicy and serve it uh, with pasta to make mac and cheese. And, and you can get the recipe if you go to trimazing.com slash plant strong. I have a webpage all dedicated to the recipes for the queso and the mac and cheese so that you have that. So yes, trimazing.com slash plant strong and you can get these recipes and make this for yourself. So this is something that we made in the fire station when we were missing cheese. And I make this a lot. It's a great dip. It's a great um, spread. If I'm making a lasagna and I want it to be cheesy, mm. I put pour this on the top. 
What kind of what kind of instruments you have there you're assembling? So is that Vitamix? This is a Vitamix, and you can use a regular blender. You don't necessarily have to have a high-end, high-speed blender. I'm going to show you two ways of making this, with a regular blender and cooking the cheese sauce, or you can also just cook the cheese sauce in the Vitamix if you have a high-speed blender. So um, the ingredients for this, I'll bring them out. Very, very simple. That was something that was really key for the fire station is that they needed to be simple, inexpensive ingredients for, um, why do you say, why do you say inexpensive? Well, because the the fire department does not pay for our food when we go grocery shopping. And so we had what's something that was called house fund, um, Mm -hmm. that we all pitched into at the beginning of the month that paid for staples. So like salt and flour and sugar and potatoes and onions, um, and then every shift we pitched in to whoever was cooking to pay for the fresh fruits and vegetables or <clears throat> meat, uh, <laughs> or the things that we were going to add to the staples. So our recipes had to be inexpensive. Otherwise people complain when you had to go back to them, say, I need more money. That just wasn't very cool. Let me just so, chime in for a sec, Cindy and, yeah. and echo. Like it was a contest to see who could make dinner for the the cheapest amount so that you when it came time to basically pay the person that went shopping you didn't have to put in more than like three or four (laughs) dollars exactly yeah five dollars was the max per person and we only had three people so you had fifteen dollars plus the house fund so you actually tried to find ingredients that used as many staple pantry staples as possible you know potatoes smothered in onions you know that was (laughs) (laughs) as <laughs> I used a lot of house fund items. So um, I'm going to change my view so you can see what I have here. So um, I have oats. These are just rolled oats. Um, my original recipe used cashews, um, but I decided to switch over to oats because they have less fat. There's They're just full of really fantastic fiber um, and they work just as well. And they're less expensive. Cashews are expensive. Um, and I have vegetable stock and water. This is a cup and a half. Mm, that's really smart to go to, to do it with oats from cashews. I, I will be, it'll be interesting to me to know if you still get that similar creaminess. You do. And if you're concerned, um, when I, I share with people, it's like you can try doing half and half, half cashews mm-hmm. and half oats. Um, and then slowly over time, we it cause it just, changes your mouthfeel changes over time but i think the oats make it nice and creamy mm-hmm. um you can also use uh, instead of cashews sunflower seeds i've done that or other types of nuts mm-hmm. um this is a uh, nutritional yeast of course you have to have nutritional yeast for that cheesy flavor and i have some salt just a tiny bit let me grab my scraper I'm surprised you just didn't use the end of your finger, like you know. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm you know I'm cooking class, so I want to be mindful. Uh-huh. So okay. um, this is cornstarch. Uh, you can also use arrowroot powder. Mm-hmm. That helps thicken it up. I have some lemon juice. You can also use lime juice. Works really great, especially um, for this queso, which is a spicy queso, uh, Tex-Mex style. And then oh, I have garlic. Pull that in there, just a whole clove. This is tomato paste, just mm-hmm. regular. You could get it in a tube or a can. If you're going to do 
uh, a non-spicy version, you'll have more tomato paste than this, but this is a spicy version. And to make it spicy, I'm going to use um, adobo sauce. Wow. So this is the liquid that's in a can of um, chipotle peppers. And this is my favorite brand, this Imbasa. You can find it at most grocery stores anymore in the Hispanic food aisle. Mm-hmm. Really delicious. The in here are whole smoked jalapeno peppers, and they're in this delicious mm. uh, sauce called adobo sauce. You could also make your own. And on that page um, with the plants, trimazing.com slash plant strong, I have a link where you can learn how to make your own adobo, but it's just easy to use the can. But that's it for our ingredients here. And I'm just going to blend this up. I'll change my view. Would it also so, uh, work if you wanted to add a, let's say, a seeded jalapeno pepper? Would that have a similar you, effect? Yeah, it won't have the smokiness. Uh-huh. Um, it'll have the heat. Um, you can also use salsa. So mm. uh, every fire station always had salsa, so I would put salsa in here. I wouldn't even worry about getting the tomato paste. I would just take salsa and put it in because it was using the house fund. So... Now I'm going to blend this. And if this was a normal blender, I'm going to blend it until it's nice and smooth. Um, or if you have a high speed blender like this, um, you'll run it for about five minutes. It will actually cook the sauce in here and get it nice and thick. And I have, I'll show you what it looks like. Um, I'm not going to run it for five minutes because, you know, we don't want to stare at each other for five <laughs> minutes as this runs. So I'm just going to run it until it gets blended. Can you hear me? I can hear you a little. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could hear me. I am wondering, uh, Cindy. Yeah. Do you do you love to cook? And if so, like, what was that journey like for you? I love to cook. Um, so I was a latchkey kid. My mom worked when I was growing up. And when I hit a certain age, like in middle school, my mom will leave, would leave a recipe on the counter, have ingredients in the refrigerator and say, please make this before I come home. And so I would do that. And then I got bored of those recipes. So then I would look at the rest, the stuff that was in that recipe, the stuff in the fridge. I would go through her cookbooks to figure out what I could make instead mm. and surprise surprise her with those recipes. And um, so I kind of self-taught myself how to cook uh, in that regard. And I've just always had a love of cooking. So that was a fear that people had when I went plant-based is I was known as a really fantastic firehouse cook. And mm. they thought, oh my gosh, we're never going to eat good again. Mm. Um, so it's always been a passion of mine for sure. So I'm going to show you here. This is just blended. And you can see it's really liquidy. I'm going to pour it in a pan to heat it up. This is one that I made right before we started. Um, and it's really, really, really thick. It's actually cooked in here um, where I can scoop it out. And so the only difference there, Cindy, is that one was five minutes and the other one was about 30 seconds. Exactly. This was done for five minutes in a high-speed blender. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a high-speed blender, um, don't worry. Don't fret. You can still make this wonderful cheese sauce. In fact, this is what we did at the fire station because no fire department's going to buy their fire station a high-speed blender. 
So you just get a saucepan. You pour in your sauce that's all blended up. I'll change my view again so we can see. This is so trick. You are you, cool? you, have, you have it going on there in your little studio. <laughs> I wanted it to be like a cooking show where people would be really interested in my classes that they'd be able to see. That was important that they could see, yeah. even though, um, you know, COVID made it where I couldn't do in-person classes anymore. I wanted people to be able to feel like they were there. So um, I've got my little stovetop here and I've got my, my liquid that I blended up in my blender. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just going to bring it to a boil and that cornstarch is going to thicken up. So ah. we'll let that go. So, and it's going to thicken up just like the stuff that I did in the other blenders. So mm. we can still chat while this is going on. And then you'll see how quickly it is that this will tighten yeah. up. It only takes about five minutes. Now. So Cindy, are you, are you single? Are you married? Are you in a relationship? Yeah, so I am married. Um, my husband is an endurance swimmer, oh, uh, actually really? a marathon swimmer. Um, he's one of the crazy people that um, swim from between the Maui, from the Hawaiian islands. Um, he's on the Maui Channel. He swam um, the Catalina Channel um, from Catalina to Long Beach. He's a huge swimmer and we got together um, before I retired, we met. And um, when I retired, I came up here. He was not plant-based, but he had been an athlete his entire life. And food was always fuel. Wasn't He wasn't a foodie. It was whatever he ate had to contribute to his fitness for um, his sport. So he loved the way I cooked and ate what I made. And we had the same conversation that I had at the fire station. You can add something to it. This is my journey, not yours. But what I have found in the fire service and in real life, there's a lot of times if you're cooking for someone, they don't generally want to take the time to make something else to go with it. They'll just eat what you've made. So over time, he just, he wasn't making anything to go with what I was uh, making. And he discovered that when he ate how I was cooking. His level of fitness improved and mm. he was already doing fantastic. So my husband is 20 years older than I am. He consistently comes in ahead of people half his age. Um, he's always on the podium. He just came back from um, U.S. Masters Summer Nationals with a suitcase full of medals, first place, second place, third place. Um, and he's he really attributes it to eating plant-based. He feels wow. like he has a secret, uh, a secret uh, training tool that other people don't have. What is his first name? His name is Alan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Um, where did you guys meet? So we had mutual friends down in Oregon um, uh -huh. that had dinner parties. Uh, one, the husband was a paramedic who I knew. He was also vegetarian, by the way. And the wife was a nurse who Alan knew. And um, we met at the dinner party. And um, with my love of triathlon and his love of swimming, uh, we started talking. And it just was a friendship that blossomed into now we're married. So you can see that this, look how thick this is getting. Yeah, it's really neat.
Really? Yeah, I'm going to switch to a whisk here. It's a little lumpy. Um, yeah, so he traveled for, he's a pharmacist. And he travels for work. And um, when he was traveling, he wouldn't eat plant-based. And then he'd come home and eat plant-based. And he really could tell the difference. So here is my sauce. You can see it's really lovely and thick. And it took less than five minutes on the burner. <laughs> that that looks so good. And I want to try that immediately over Yukon Gold potatoes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I was really struggling. I have a plate of um, veggies here. We're going to pour this in the, the bowl. I was like, do I do veggies? Do I do some potatoes? Yeah. But this is so delicious. I'm even going to pour some of that other so we fill this up. But this makes a great sauce. Um, I've done um, one of my favorite things to do, and I did this at the fire station, is I would make the layered bean dip um, with the refined beans on the bottom, with um, guacamole and salsa, and I would pour this queso sauce over the top, mm. and I would set it out at the fire station, Mm -hmm. And people would gobble it up and people would come to visit the station and they would see this wonderful dip and nobody would say, that's not real cheese. <laughs> they would watch them and go, oh my gosh, they're eating it. But yeah, yeah. So this is yeah. their queso cheese. I could it's see so good. I could see doing a bunch of nachos, you know, with beans yeah. and jalapenos and uh, uh, fresh, fresh cut, you know, red onions. Oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> yeah, it's super delicious. It's thick and creamy. It's got that same consistency that you look for in that nacho cheese, for sure, without all of the garbage. And it's it's great. You don't have to have any guilt with it. Yeah. So, um, again, a on, on my webpage, you have the recipe at uh, tryamazing.com slash plantstrong. That's great. <clears throat> well, Cindy, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, uh, I can't tell you how, how great it is to um, to get to meet you. And uh, I really appreciate you joining us on the Plant Strong podcast and all the great work that you're doing in retirement. Um, and I cannot wait to make that queso dish. Thank you. Fantastic. Very I hope you do. And let me know how it turns out. Oh, I will. So with that, will you give me a fist bump? There you go. Fist Keep bump. And strong. Absolutely. I want to thank Cindy for making the plant strong lifestyle such a huge part of who she is today i also want to thank her for bringing it today in the kitchen if you want to see her cooking up that queso you can watch the video on our youtube channel and we'll be sure to put the link and all of her resources for you in the show notes at plantstrongpodcast.com until then do me a favor if you see an emergency first responder out there, give them a big high five. Thank you. They truly are some of our biggest heroes. And uh, do me another favor. Always keep it plan strong. Thanks so much for listening. The Plan Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. 
Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr., and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.